How many of you came to worship today knowing that this is Palm Sunday? Anybody? Almost everybody. Yeah, Palm Sunday is the beginning of what Christians call Holy Week. The word holy means set apart. Usually it means set apart by God for a special purpose, as when the Israelites were set apart by God as his special people thousands of years ago. So Holy Week is a week that we remember who God is and what he did for us, and most importantly, what he did for us in Jesus Christ, because God, the God of the universe, sent his only son, Jesus, into the earth, as we know, as a baby who grew up and lived a perfect life, the only perfect life ever lived, and then died on the cross and rose again. And Holy Week remembers what happened from Palm Sunday when Jesus was celebrated until Easter morning when the tomb was empty. Now, I'm going to bring up Palm Sunday in a way that I've never heard it referred to before, and I think this is the 39th time I've been at Palm Sunday services just as a pastor, and it's this way. Holy Week is like a sandwich. Have you ever thought of Holy Week like a sandwich? The outside layers, the bread, is celebration because you have Palm Sunday and Easter, but the inside layers are conflict, betrayal, rejection, pain, and death. And so the challenge that we have, because we lived nearly 2,000 years after the Palm Sunday, the Holy Week, you know, the, the Easter celebration, so we know what happened. We already know what happened. But the challenge for us is simply this. How do we live the reality of the celebrations? You know, Palm Sunday, Easter, that, that kind of power in the midst of and not succumbing to the cynicism that the pain of daily life can bring. Because every day, we got to live every day. And, and, you know, the Palm Sunday celebration was a big celebration. Easter, there's nothing bigger than that. But how do we live the in-between time when it's not Palm Sunday and when it's not Easter? You know, I've often said at funeral services that one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave us is the gift of memory. Think about that. When someone we love dies, what happens? We remember them. You, you literally remember them. You put them back together in your mind and in your heart. You think about them. And the thing that Pastor Max Lucado, author Max Lucado said is, there's this thing that's called the editing of grace. And what the editing of grace means is that over time, the memories we have of those loved ones gets better and better. And the bad things sort of fade away. And Paul the Apostle did this in, in Romans chapter 4. In Romans chapter 4, Paul said this, Abraham, the founder, you know, the father of the Jewish nation, never wavered in his faith. Well, Abraham wavered in his faith. I mean, a couple of times he went to a different nation and he said that, Ab that Sarah, his wife, was actually his sister because he was afraid if he said that it was his wife that they would kill him to get his wife. I'd call that wavering in faith. But the point is, we have these better and better memories. And as we look back on Holy Week, what we want to do is we want to remember Palm Sunday. We want to certainly remember Easter, but we don't really want to think that much about Good Friday. You know, I mean, we want to hold on to the good memories. And that's why churches, you know, really are packed on Palm Sunday and on Easter, but not so much on Good Friday. But let's focus on the top layer of the Holy Week sandwich, the bread that we call Palm Sunday. First of all, why do we call it Palm Sunday? Well, there are four Gospels, four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only John tells us that people waved palm branches. None of the other, Matthew, Mark, Luke don't mention palm branches. In fact, there are Christians and even atheists today, and you know what they say? There couldn't have been any palm branches on Palm Sunday because palm trees don't grow in Jerusalem. Well, they do grow in Jerusalem today, but they didn't back in those days. But that's, you know, I know that's important to some people, all these little details. 
let's, let's just humor the atheists and, the, and the, um, the people that think that this is, couldn't have happened. In two miles from Jerusalem, there's a little town called Bethany, which is where the Palm Sunday Parade started. And guess what grows in Bethany? Palm trees. And there are palm branches in Bethany. So maybe they just got their palm branches at the start of the parade, which makes sense. Usually you get your balloons at the beginning of the parade, not at the end, right? So palm branches. Why palm branches? Because in Jesus' day, palm branches, waving palm branches was a sign of victory and triumph. So what the crowd realized that first Palm Sunday, they recognized Jesus for who he was, the king, the son of David. That's very significant. The crowd recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one that they believed had come to set Israel free. And they were right, but not in the way they thought, because they thought that Jesus was going to set them free from the Roman occupiers. Instead, he came to set all of us free from sin and death. And, and so one of the things that's really sad about Holy Week is that on Palm Sunday, they were all celebrating, shouting Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But on Friday, they, the same crowd, basically same crowd, was shouting crucify him. But that's getting ahead of the story. Let's go back um, to Palm Sunday. I titled the message today, The Stones Cry Out. And the reason I did that is because of something that only Luke's gospel tells us. Luke tells us that the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, found the crowd's proclamation that Jesus was king, the, the king who comes in the name of the Lord, offensive. I mean, they didn't want Jesus saying that, or the crowd saying that about Jesus. In fact, they turned to Jesus and they said, hey, you need to stop these people from saying this stuff about you. And Jesus looked at them and said, uh, if they don't say it, the stones will cry out. So there you get the name of the, of the message. In fact, the, today's take-home point is a very powerful point that comes. It's the, the one point I'm going to make from Scripture today. Uh, and it's, it's what will happen huh, if we don't praise God. And so here it is. The take-home point is if we don't praise Jesus, nature will. If we don't praise Jesus, nature will. So here at New Life, we exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. Have you ever heard me say that? Huh. Mm, yes. Hundreds of times. We exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. Why do I keep saying that? Because Jesus is the center of life. Jesus is the center of human reality. Without Jesus, we have nothing. With Jesus, we have everything. Jesus is the center of all of our relationships. So let's turn to Luke 19. We're going to read Luke's account of what happened on that very first Palm Sunday. But before we do that, pray with me one more time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have these accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of what happened that one day in all of Jesus' life when everybody knew who he was your son, the Messiah. And God, today, as we read this account, as we remember it, we pray that once again, you'll put into our minds, into our lives, into our hearts and spirits and souls and bodies, the truth that Jesus is everything to us. He is Lord, God, master, owner, and savior, rescuer from sin and death. And let us live the celebration, not only today, but tomorrow and every day you give us until we see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it says in Luke 19, if you like to follow along in your Bible, Luke 19, verse 29 and following, it says this. As he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
So Jesus knew something at that moment that nobody else knew. He knew that he was going to die on Friday. He knew it was coming. This was the week that he would die on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin. But before he died on the cross, this day, he was going to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why a donkey? Well, in those days, if you were a king of Israel and it was a time of peace, you would ride a donkey whenever you went from place to place. And so what Jesus was saying by riding in on a donkey is, I'm the king and there's peace. Jesus didn't ride in on a white stallion to say, I'm going to overthrow Rome because that isn't why he came when he first came. He came to overthrow sin and death. But as he rode into, the, uh, into Jerusalem, he rode as the king of Israel. And each time that Jesus had been proclaimed as king before this, I mean, Israelites tried to make Jesus king before this. He said no. One time he fed 5,000 people. We 5,000 men, probably a bunch of women, and probably 20,000 altogether with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. And guess what they did? Hey, he's the king. Let's make him king. Who doesn't want a guy to be king who can take five loaves of bread and two fish and make enough food for 20,000 people? And so they tried to make him king, but he went off into the mountains and prayed. He wouldn't take that title of king. But today, on Palm Sunday, he took the title of king that he was given. Now, we live 2,000 years from that momentous day, and yet the ripple effects of that day still impact our lives because we know more than those people in the crowd knew on that first Palm Sunday. So, Jesus sent two of his disciples to get a donkey so he could ride into Israel, into Jerusalem, as the king. Jesus anticipated that his disciples might have a little trouble while they were borrowing a donkey. Okay, I put, you know, a borrowing means they took it, right? So here's what Jesus says. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, I've always found these kind of details fascinating. You know why? Because I'm not a detail person. Maybe some of you know me well enough. You, my wife, Nancy, certainly knows. I'm not a planner by nature, but Jesus was. Jesus planned out all the details of everything. I'm sort of like that spontaneous person who just likes to let life come as it comes. But here's the thing. Jesus always knew, I think when he got up in the morning and spent that time with his heavenly father, he got a plan for the day, he knew what the day was going to bring. And as he went, people would interrupt him. Did you ever have a plan and somebody interrupted it? Every day, right? You have a plan. You know, Mike Tyson used to say, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. That's what sort of happens in daily life. We have a plan, then we get punched in the mouth, and our plan goes out the window. But Jesus had a plan all, all the time, and people would interrupt him. But you know what Jesus did? Sometimes, in fact, it seems like all the time except for once that I can find in the Scriptures, he went with the interruption. Somebody comes up who needs healing, Jesus healed the person, then he finishes his plan. But one day, Jesus did not go with the interruption. And I want you to understand, because sometimes an interruption is just an interruption, and you should say, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that, because I have a plan. Most of the time, I think, that whenever somebody comes up, that somebody might have something that God is putting, you know, the, the interruption is really God putting that person in their life. But here's what happened the first day Jesus' ministry. First day in the ministry, according to the Gospels, Jesus went into Capernaum, he preached in the synagogue, and everybody went, whoa, we never heard a message like that before. He has such authority. And then in the middle of the message, somebody, you know, has a demon, and Jesus casts a demon out of the guy. And then after that, he goes and heals Peter's mother-in-law who was sick, and then he heals everybody in town. Pretty good day of ministry, first day. So then he goes to sleep. He gets up early in the morning before anybody else is awake. He goes off by himself for a couple hours, we think, probably, to pray. 
And then guess what happens? The disciples interrupt him. They come in and they say, hey, Jesus, hey, man, you had a good day yesterday, but there's all these people in Capernaum. They want you to come back. You go to come back. We, you know, it's, this is where we're supposed to be. But Jesus said, no. You see, Jesus said, no. Huh, that's a good word to learn. No. When there's an interruption, you learn to say no. Jesus said no. You know why? Because I have to go to the other towns. We're going to go to the other towns because we're going to preach throughout all of Israel. That's why God sent me. So if we stop to think, how do you know if it's an interruption or if it's part of the plan? How did Jesus know? Well, with Jesus, we could say, well, that's easy because Jesus is the Son of God. So he always knew. But I think there's, that's true, but I think there's a little bit more that we can learn from Jesus. And that is the two hours he spent in prayer before he started his day. He was with his heavenly Father. He got the, the Father's will into his mind. He was tied in with the Holy Spirit. And so while we are not God or God's Son, we are people who can have the Holy Spirit speak to us. And we certainly are people who can start our day with God. And when we do that, I believe, and my experience has t- taught me, that the interruptions that come, then we can discern. Is it really an interruption or is it the plan that God has for us? So, Jesus said, There's this, uh, this is going to happen. You're going to go in there going to say, why are you taking it? And it's okay. And here's what happens. So they went and found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Okay, there you go. Now we have a donkey. So they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their garments over it for him to ride on. So the disciples threw their garments on the donkey. Why? Well, some biblical scholars say it made a sort of a makeshift saddle. Other biblical scholars say it's because it showed honor and respect. I don't want to overthink this too much, you know, but I mean, that makes sense. But I have a question. (laughs) Both Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel tell us this donkey had never been ridden before. How do you get a donkey who's never been ridden and you bring it out and set some coats on top of it and Jesus just sits on top of there and rides right into town? I thought about that because I'd never thought about that before. You see, pastors think about things that nobody else thinks about. Uh, Anyway, I realized that Jesus walked on water. Jesus would say to a storm, be still, and it was. Jesus fed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and some fish. I don't think it was too hard to say to the donkey, hey, I'm riding you today. And donkey goes, okay, right? So Lord of nature says to the donkey, I'm riding you. And the donkey goes, all right. I don't know if he said it out loud or not. Okay, so then it says, as he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. So now, not palm branches, not other kind of branches. You see, in John's gospel, there's palm branches. In Matthew and Mark, it's just branches. They cut branches and threw it on the road in front of him. But here, Luke says, they took off their garments and put them on the road in front of him. Why? Well, again, to show honor and respect. Now, there are some biblical scholars who say that what happened was that they were taking off their outer old nature and laying it before Jesus and that they were getting ready to put on their new nature. Now, I think that's a little bit of over-spiritualizing because here's the thing. Those same people that took their outer garments off on Sunday... They were shouting, crucify him on Friday. If they really recognized who Jesus was, they certainly would not be um, shouting crucify a few days later. So when we, look at that. I have page seven and then page nine. You know what? I really could look for page eight. Ha, here it is. That's going to make this sound a lot more sensible uh, when I get to page, page eight instead of page nine. Okay. So 
No one, including the disciples, realized who Jesus really was that Palm Sunday. Because, you know, nobody was waiting outside the tomb on Easter morning for Jesus to get back up. They all thought he was dead. It was over. It was gone. But on that day, they're all praising God. They're honoring and respecting Jesus. And so what this was, was an acknowledgement of how human beings saw Jesus on Palm Sunday. He was a great man, but only a man. And we can look back and we can try to project all kind of ideas onto that first Palm Sunday because we know who Jesus really is, but they didn't know who he, who he really was. They were saying he was the king who comes in the name of the Lord. He thought he was a human king who was going to simply come and overthrow the Romans. And, and they missed out on who he really was that particular day. So it says, when he reached the place where the road started down the, the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles that they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest heaven. So notice why Jesus' followers praised God. Because of all the wonderful miracles they had seen. I have seen God do many miracles in Jesus' name in my lifetime. In fact, it was the very first miracle that I ever saw Jesus do, that I was aware that it was a miracle that Jesus did, that changed my life. It made me realize that all the stuff I read about in the Bible was true about Jesus. And I've told this story many times. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but I simply want to remind you, especially any of you who weren't here when I've told it before. My brother Ken was 15. I was 17. We were playing basketball. It was basketball practice at Purchase Line High School. And a kid tried to poke the basketball from my brother. Instead, poked my brother right in the eye and tore the cornea of his eye. It was a bad tear. We required surgery. So they took him to the hospital. That night, my pastor, Andy Wygant, and I went to the hospital to visit with Ken. And at the end of the visit, my brother was sitting there with patches on both eyes. They wanted to limit the movement of the bad eye, so they, they took patches on both eyes. Anyway, and Andy says, Ken, do you mind if I pray for Jesus to heal your eye? And Ken said, well, it couldn't hurt. Go ahead. And, and he didn't expect much, and I didn't expect much, frankly. But the next morning, whenever the doctor came in and took the patch off Ken's eye, it was healed, completely healed. And so I had a long conversation with Andy Wygant after that. And the result of that conversation was I realized that Jesus was still in the business of doing miracles. And eventually, after a period of resistance, I uh, ended up becoming a pastor as a result of that. You see, on that first day, they were all praising God because they had seen Jesus heal the blind, heal the, the, the deaf, uh, make lepers clean, make those who couldn't walk, walk, even raise people from the dead. But at, as they shouted, Hosanna, and we didn't, did you notice we haven't heard Hosanna? We're not going to hear Hosanna in Luke. It's not in Luke. It's in John. Uh, and we put all this, the passages together and we get the big picture. But Hosanna, it means save now. And even though they were shouting save now, they didn't really realize anything more than maybe Jesus was the Messiah, maybe Jesus was God's anointed one, but in that moment as they shouted Hosanna, save now, what they didn't realize is that Jesus came to save humanity from sin and death. That's why Jesus came. What they really were hoping for was that Romans would no longer be in power in Israel when Jesus took over as king. It was in that moment a moment of triumph for Jesus as the people shouted Hosanna, as they shouted, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. They're sh shouting all of these things and the religious leaders 
turned to Jesus in that moment, and it says, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. They'd been trying to get the crowds to stop following Jesus. This was exactly the opposite of what they wanted to have happen. They saw Jesus as a fake, as a pretender. They didn't want Jesus being proclaimed as king. And so they turned to Jesus and they said, Lord? No, they didn't say Lord. Did they say master? No, they didn't say. They said, hey, you, tell these people to shut up. Now, if Jesus were not who he said he was, then this would have been the great time to turn to the crowd and say, hey, everybody, nothing to see here. Just go ahead about your business. But Jesus didn't do that. Jesus upped the ante. Jesus turned to those religious leaders and he said, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Now, let's stop and think about that statement for a minute. The religious leaders had just challenged Jesus to back off, to tell all the people that they were crazy, that he wasn't the king, he wasn't the Messiah, he wasn't God's anointed one, and they just all needed to go home. And what Jesus said was, you want them to shut up? Then the stones are going to cry out. Inanimate objects are going to cry out that I'm the king. What was Jesus saying? Okay, now... A lot of people in our day say that Jesus was a great moral teacher. C.S. Lewis said decades ago, Jesus didn't leave us that option. He can't be a great moral teacher because he said he was God. If he's not God, then he's a liar. And you can't be a great moral teacher if you're a liar. What Jesus was saying in that moment was, I am truly the king of the Jews. And more than that, I am the savior of the world. I came to save and I'm not going to back down. And if the people stop shouting my praise, the stones around us. And there were a lot of stones. I've been to Israel only one time, but I know one thing. If you ever want to see a lot of stones, go to Israel. So there could be a lot of shouting going on if the people hadn't praised. But the thing is, during the week, we know what happens, right? We go from this great celebration to more arguing and fighting between Jesus and the religious leaders, and then Judas betrays Jesus, and then... Peter denies Jesus, and then Peter watches, maybe, or maybe he's in a, in a room locked in as Jesus is crucified and put into Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And if that were it, it would be a sad story. And if that were it, nobody would be here today. I certainly wouldn't be standing up here preaching about a dead Jesus. But that isn't it. <laughs> That is not it. What we know is that next week, and I can't wait for next week. I mean, if you can't preach on Easter, then you shouldn't be a preacher, right? I can't wait for next week because I get to proclaim what I've been proclaiming for all these decades, that Jesus who was dead is alive. And next week, we're going to start a new series, four-week series called Winning the War in Your Mind. And we're going to talk about how Jesus' victory over sin and death is also a victory for each and every one of us. Certainly a victory for salvation, but a victory for that battle that's going on in each and every one of our minds right now. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) There's stuff going on in our minds right now, and it's a spiritual battle. And we're going to talk about how do you win that war by the power of Jesus Christ. So I hope And I pray that if you're here today, that you're going to come back again next week. And I especially hope and pray that you will bring with you some people who are discouraged, who are depressed, who don't believe that this life is important, who thinks that there's nothing that can help them or no one that will. Because there is someone who's already overcome death, who's already overcome sin, 
and who we're going to proclaim is alive again next week. But right now, let's look at today's next step. That's the one thing that we're going to go out and do as a result of being here today. And there it is. I will praise Jesus with my words and actions this week. I will praise Jesus with my words and actions this week. The crowd on Palm Sunday didn't know that five days later that they would be saying, crucify him. And here's the thing. We're going to go out into the world, and the world is going to beat us up this week. There's going to be tough challenges. But you know what's going to happen if we stop praising God this week? If we stop praising Jesus this week, the stones are going to cry out. I don't ever want to hear stones crying out. Do you? I don't ever want to hear because I won't praise Jesus, because we won't praise Jesus, that the stones have to be the only thing that testify to him. So as we go through this week, we're going to praise him with our words and with our actions because the stones aren't crying out this week. Amen? Pastor Chris's message made it very clear that Jesus came to be our Savior and Lord, and He is our Savior. And if you haven't accepted Him yet, today's the day. And here at New Life, we say it's simple, but it's not easy. It's as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner and that you need Jesus as your Savior. And B, you believe. You believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And C, you confess. You confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you commit to following Him with the power of the Holy Spirit. If this is something you would like to do, you can pray this prayer with me, or you can say it in your own words. Dear God, I admit that I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He came to this earth, and that He died on the cross for my sins and I believe that he rose again on the third day. And I confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and I commit to following him every day of my life with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God. I thank you that you sent Jesus to this earth and that he was willing to die that death on the cross for me, Lord. And I thank you and I love you in Jesus' name.